0: Good morning, Theo 102 Welcome to Friday, the Wednesday edition. We're the so Friday to of here. our class
1: is yes. a Wednesday this week and one more week next week. Yes. We'll be in here Monday and Wednesday. For Wednesday is the midterm exam, as you know. Yes. Please remember March, to bring something to write on if that helps you and something to write with and sit every other seat and all that good stuff that you know about so well by this point.
0: Yes, and don't forget to check out the study guide and also include the book, Simply Mm. Jesus, in your exam prep.
1: We wanna notice the fact that today is actually kind of a special day in the so-called church calendar. Do you know that for many centuries, Christian churches have actually followed a kind of a calendar that tracks with the life and death of Jesus. And today is actually a really special day in that calendar, right?
0: Yes, and you may see some people around campus, you may some, see some people, some people here on this stage. With evidence of that, today is a day called Ash Wednesday. And um, you may be thinking, what does Ash Wednesday have to do with this course? That's something we may cover. Did you wanna talk a little bit about Ash Wednesday?
1: Well, maybe just to the extent to say, we've covered themes recently in this course, right? Like judgment and repentance, like this is a path that Christians have to take, not an option. Ash Wednesday is a really important day for Christians to really get in that mood in a serious way. And we want to let you know also, by the way, that our spiritual life team at George Fox University is hosting right after Theo, right after this class at 12 p.m. They're hosting a prayer service in the, um, in the prayer chapel that's kind of back there behind those parking lots, uh, nestled in there. And at 7 p.m. tonight, yes. the chapel Vespers service is actually a traditional, or it, their take at least, on a traditional or classic Ash Wednesday um, um, Observance. I was going to say celebration, but really, I don't know that Ash Wednesday is a time for like celebration. A it's a time yeah. for mourning in a way and, and judgment and repentance.
0: Yes. And a reminder that uh, as the scriptures say, we are from the dust and we return to the dust. Um, At least until the coming resurrection. So we're excited about that. If you're curious, we'll we'll probably talk a little bit about it today, I predict, um, on our panel. But if you're curious to know more about it, we encourage you to go to those services. They're going to be excellent. So, yeah. All right. Without further ado, it is time for our—unless there's more ado— I don't think so. Um, it is now time for our panel discussion, so oh, take it away, so Dr. Excited. Brian Doak.
1: Thank you. going to walk up these stairs, slowly, awkwardly, oh, yeah, toward the panel. So excited for our panelists here today. We have as our guest pastor, Lydia Shepard-Kaiser. Please give it up for Pastor Lydia. She's <laughs> also one of our section leaders. She preaches, she teaches, she does it all. Thank you, Pastor Lydia, for being here with us. So excited to have you. We, of course, have the illustrious Dr. Javier Garcia in the sweater down at the end. Here for our topic this week, I believe, we're still in the I believe phrase uh, the Holy Catholic Church. And, of course, can we give it up for our lecturer from Monday, Dr. Joseph Clare? regaled us with many stories, including getting kicked in the butt at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which is a weird... I bet in there it's a weird place to get kicked in the butt, I would say. (laughs) Definitely. Uh, Thank you for including that. It was
2: a weird story, too. (laughs) I bet
1: bet it was. Um, Has church ever done that to you? Has church ever kicked you in the butt in a way that was productive? Like, just the community of faith that is the church. Is that a weird question? He gave a story about how part of the community of faith in a holy place... Kicked him in the butt. Has church ever kicked you in the butt in some way, l- l- loosely defined? However, you want to do it, Pastor Lydia. Do you, does anything come to mind? Yeah.
3: Um. Actually, just recently, uh, my own church. Really? No, I'm just kidding. Uh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um. No, I. I would say that as a whole, um, like the big C church is constantly kicking all of us in the butt. Um, and me in particular, in terms of our, uh, our selfishness. Mm. So I've been really wrestling with, um, like my own selfishness, but also sensing, and I was just preaching on this a couple weeks ago, like what would it be like for the church to actually put a war on selfishness? Wow. Um, And so recognizing that we are just such a egocentric people, Mm. And uh, myself included, always thinking about what's best for me, what I want to do, how I can, you know, leverage this or that, and um, just been really, actually, personally wrestling with that and feeling like, man, thinking even look at looking at the early church, like all of these men and women who would like literally lay down their lives, like sacrificially lay down their lives, and how how little we do that even metaphorically. Mm. So that's been something that even just recently been. been Doctor Garcia in
1: the butt. got kicked in the butt.
4: Um, Yes, uh, very many times, (laughs) but um, so I guess one thing I want to focus on is how that helps what Dr. Claire was saying, that God spoke to him saying the church will help you, right? You can't do this on your own, Mm. Uh, but that also includes discipline and self-knowledge, self-examination. So recently, actually uh, for Lent, uh, I'm doing an Ignatian retreat with a type of spiritual director that I meet with. and part of this retreat uh, that I'm trying to do on top of all the things that I do uh, is this general examine, That's what it's called. This kind of an ing- it, what's called an Ignatian retreat. So there was a uh, theologian, uh, St. Ignatius he's referred to, and he wrote about this examine where you examine your life from the beginning to the present. Like, and an ing-
1: like the word examine means like an examination. Exactly. Yeah, exactly.
4: And so you examine your life and you think about all the sin that you've struggled with from like the beginning from your childhood until now. That's brutal. And so that's a kick in the butt. Yeah. You can just spend like a couple hours thinking about it, and it's intense. So that's more personal, but I think the idea is by examining your sin and repenting of it, you come to a place where you're able to be more selfless, to understand other people's sinfulness too, uh, and serve in a better way.
1: I've had this weird thought, I don't know if it's a little bit loosely connected to this question, I've had this thought when I've been in church lately, and I want to pose this to our panel up here, just to ask, am I crazy for thinking this, am I a bad person, is this a heretical thought, should I not be saying this, should I be questioning whether I should be saying this now in front of 500 people, you know, all those questions that you can answer, but I guess sometimes when I've been in church lately, I've had this feeling come to me, dreadful, maybe it's an examination of my own heart and a commentary on me, not so much the church, I'm willing to admit that. But I've had this thought, which is kind of like this. I look around at the trappings of church, whether it's if it's in a very liturgical kind of tradition, if it's like the robes and the crosses and the gold things, or if it's in a church that's super hip with guitars and like a rock band and a merch table outside. I guess I've had this feeling like Jesus of Nazareth, the Jesus of the Gospels, he wouldn't really like this. He would not be into this. I've also been in church settings, like, where they had, like, metal chairs, and they were, like, recovering alcoholics, and it's like, yeah, Jesus would be into this. Has our church culture just gotten out of control in all kinds of directions? I don't even have any particular kind of church here in mind, but, like, to the extent that, like, I just fear that, like, Jesus would not be happy with, like, what we've done with the church. Is that—am I crazy for thinking that, Dr. Claire? I, I confide in you. I confess it, but wh- I mean, what do you think?
2: I, I think it bears out the stats I started my lecture with, that a lot of people are leaving the church just for that reason of feeling its hypocrisy, its irrelevance, uh, its kind of showiness, its inauthenticity. Um, and I think that, that that metaphor of the church being the body of Christ speaks to that, that the body of Christ mysteriously um, is still the church. We are His embodiment as His followers on earth. And in the mystery of time and eternity, Christ is crucified and risen. In some ways, I feel like when you're in church, you feel more like it's Christ's body on the cross than it is His cr- His body that's risen what do you, in glory. Wh- what, do
1: you mean, what do you mean by that, His body on the cross?
2: Yeah, I think... So whether or not it's the inauthenticity and hypocrisy or just the division and nastiness oh. that you find in churches that make you just not want to be a part of the the petty arguments, um, there's just this sense that this is a human institution and its divinity, its its holiness is hidden deep within it sometimes. Mm-hmm. But I think to, to your point, I think a lot of churches have exactly that thought is the church has gone haywire, it's off the tracks, it's a bunch of people in robes or it's a bunch of... Uh, rock shows so we're going back to the authentic real Jesus We're right. gonna do this thing again, and we're gonna do it right and then if you watch the history of the doing it right Movement it turns into looking exactly like all the other things that were not doing it right for from the start And I think that that's one of the mysteries of the early churches They were trying to stick to Jesus and stick to his message and stick to his ways but they also needed to form a community That thought about things and did things together and stuck together and had continuity otherwise we wouldn't have the New Testament that came down to us otherwise we wouldn't have something like the Apostles Creed but in that institutionalization there is a kind of brokenness that comes when you institutionalize something but without the institutionalization it might have been evaporation there just would have been no memory of Christianity someone else want to
1: jump in on this
4: yeah I'm struck in so many settings that I go to in churches, uh, that, I don't know, I I want to have a sense of awe and reverence uh, towards God, and so I think you get that more obviously in the liturgical settings, Uh, but I do think it's possible in a lower church setting too, so I think Can you explain, can I interrupt
1: for you to explain, like what is a liturgical setting? And what's a low church setting, yeah. Yeah, what what does that
4: mean? So basically, um, well when I was in England, they used to call it uh, either going up or down the candle, Right, like if you think about a candle, you can go towards the wick where it's like, you know, the light and then down. But basically, a low church setting is um, usually you have a pastor who's not in what would be called vestments. You have somebody in a suit or, you know, who's in flip-flops. T-shirts and jeans and stuff. So
1: very informal. If your pastor's wearing jeans, you're in a low church setting, okay? Yeah, yeah. That's how Um, you know.
4: And so then a, a lot of the music will also be quite contemporary, right? Um, maybe fewer use of hymns or traditional songs.
1: Like in a low church setting, someone could just interrupt me, like, "You know what? We're not going to do this right now. We're going to totally change this," and, and everyone would be like, "Yeah!" And somebody just starts doing something crazy, you know, like that. The beat all, drops. Uh, yeah, exactly. The beat drops. Yeah. It all goes down. The yeah. lights go out. That's low church. Exactly. I bet a lot of these students are actually very familiar with that setting and never even realize that there's any other kind of church setting than that. I bet
4: that that's true. Yes, and then the high church setting is what you referred to before, which is more. Uh, more akin to Roman Catholicism or Eastern Orthodoxy or certain forms of Protestantism where, where we get this view, sm- smells and bells, right? So you might have somebody with um, an incense, uh, you know, I- incense in the church. You have priests' investments. Uh, you have the sacraments being very central
2: to the worship.
1: There's a liturgy. There's an order of work that the church does in a very strict way. Prayers that are recited Prayers,
2: rather responses. than freestyle off the, the top of the head.
4: Exactly. So that's, I, I guess what I was saying is that reverence is possible in both settings, but I'm struck when I don't see that reverence. Maybe it's mm. like taking it too, I too far on either end, right?
1: Pastor Lydia, are you a fan of the low church or the high church, or did, do both I'll have let you, something I'll important? I'll guess. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
3: no, so I I'm kind of struck in this conversation. I'm thinking about the people. So I'm I'm Foursquare, which is a kind of a Pentecostal, charismatic type of, of church, and definitely a low church yeah. setting, very casual. If any of you go to
1: if any of you go to Red Hills, like Red Hills yeah. Church, that's a Foursquare church. You probably don't even know that, but if you go to Red Hills, that's yeah. what that is. Yeah.
3: Yeah. So. Um, one of the things that we're constantly talking about and thinking about is what we call, like, those people outside the door. So who are the people that don't know Jesus yet? Mm -hmm. And how can we essentially attract them how can we not that we change the gospel we don't water down the truth, but we, we, we're looking at how can we appeal to them because for hundreds of thousands of years it felt like for a lot of people I'm not one of them right yeah. I don't fit in I'm too informal or um, I talk I don't talk like that or I don't understand that language and so I'm struck by as we talk about reverence, I'm also thinking about irreverence and that sometimes the beauty in reaching people who would never go to a certain style or type of church and so when I think about this, like, marketing, almost, that we're talking about, or are we getting too much, you know, too much light show, or too much merch, or that kind of idea, uh, I I go back to the question of, well, absolutely, you can go way too far on those things, but how are we to stay relevant to the point where, if we continue in one, if there was only one sect, if there was only the high church, or there was only the low church, we would lose an entire mass of people Mm. that we may never reach, and so I'm thinking in that way.
1: Yeah students you can begin writing down questions or even raising your hand warning it's coming to you soon okay it's coming to you dr Claire, you want to get in on this
2: yeah i think just to add that whatever your kind of church or style or point that your church started maybe foursquare in the mid-20th century um, or your roman catholic your church goes way back it's important to know something of the church's history and that's what we're trying to do these four weeks because because god is the holy spirit and the spirit gives birth to the church and the church has a history these past two thousand years it's not the same as scripture and knowing scripture Mm. but it is important for us to know Mm. where we fit into the family tree Mm. and i very much came from low church low church low church like my dad played electric guitar and i got baptized in a freezing river out in the mountains Mm. when i was little and this my sense of church history was Church history was Paul the apostle after Jesus, and then things went dark for a long time until Chuck Smith yeah. and Calvary Chapel and the Jesus <laughs> movement started. Straight to the river, where straight you were to baptized. the river, exactly. Yeah. And that that left my imagination and my faith weakened to not know mm-hmm. this this cloud of witnesses, as we'll talk about over the next couple can of weeks. I, can I
1: ask you like a technical question? There, I mean, I know this might be a hard one, but just as an historian of the church, like in that early church setting that your lecture was partly about, and the gifts we got from it, one hundred to five hundred A.D. Was church low church or high church or kind of a mixture? Or how would you care? Is there even a way to characterize it briefly?
2: Yeah, it is is a total mixture. It's nothing um, to the level of formality that we see in the really high expressions that we get now in, you know, Roman Catholicism, Orthodoxy, Anglicanism but there certainly was liturgy and practices like baptism and communion being these two main ones and other forms of songs and hymns were being written and robes were starting to be Warren, but I, I wanted to highlight that a lot of what we do as Christians, the things we practice now, come out of the things that they were doing in that early period. So one more church leader to write down, Hippolytus of Rome in the second century, right, is named down Hippolytus. He's the first person that we ever receive a church service bulletin from in oh, the really? ancient world. So you actually see what they Hippolytus were doing. I'm gonna write Hippolytus on the board. Hippolytus. I know how to spell it, okay, I'm gonna write it. Hippolytus, very, yeah. very important. We get a glimpse actually of what communion was like And we are still using those words and those prayers for how they celebrated communion, which obviously build out of Jesus' words at the Last Supper and Paul's in 1 Corinthians 10. But we are using some of those same prayers in a lot of churches today. So there is continuity, uh, even at the practical level, and we don't have all the details. But no, the church was a diffuse thing. Some people had home churches. There's a thing called the Domesticia Ecclesia where people would have, like, big home churches going on,
1: and it it was diffuse and wild and awesome, kind of like it is today anybody ever do church in a house before just like straight up some hands out there students what do you think jenna you got something there all right
3: hi my name is cam um you guys already kind of addressed this but um as it is ash wednesday can you guys explain the action of Lent? what it is why we should act on it um what is ash wednesday what does it symbolize especially within the season of lent
4: well, I will highlight one aspect. Um, maybe you guys can give more of a historical sense. Um, I'm kind of all over the place when it comes to my own place in the church. I was at a very liturgical uh, church for three years here in Newburgh, and now I go to uh, an evangelical church in Portland. And so sometimes I have to ask my students, like, where are we in the calendar? <laughs> you know? And I miss that, I miss that. But there were reasons. Um, so uh, Lent, Definitely a focus on repentance, and a turn towards um, our understanding even of our own mortality. Uh, So, I think it's important to think about, yeah, our our lives as as short, right? And we will face death, you know, we are not immune from that. Uh, And so this call, you are ashes to ashes, dust to dust, right? Uh, Returning to um, our created order, that we are created beings, Uh, and so that should bring us closer to God, should bring the self-examination. Uh, and also I think that humility that comes with uh, a true understanding of, of who we are before God. So Psalm 90 says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And so I think that's a very important part of Lent as well.
2: Yeah, I think the church, again, this goes back to the early church. is when the season of Lent comes from. It's the 40 days leading up to Easter um, and not counting the Sundays. And it it very much is a time, like, we should always be remembering to repent, have faith in Jesus, and follow him. But you need, like, an annual, Mm big-time reminder. Because remember, Jesus' first sermon, the first word of Christianity is repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And as Dr. Doak led us in the, the passage on the judgment of the living and the dead, the beginning of Christianity is a very simple, simple moment where you start to see yourself clearly, in the mirror for who you are. You see the junk. Uh, you get past the self-defensiveness and the dismissiveness and you actually reckon with your sin and you jump into the arms of a loving Savior who actually has made a way of forgiveness at the cross and given us hope. And so it, it's in some ways it's to memorialize annually repentance. It also is, Cam, I think to your point, it's a good reminder for us. Maybe you're not a part of a church that does Lent. It started in the early church because those who were becoming Christians would get baptized at Easter every year. Easter was the time to remember the resurrection and baptism would happen. So for the 40 days leading up to Easter, people would prepare their hearts to to be baptized and become followers. How did they do that? They learned the scriptures and they learned the Apostles' Creed. So that from the second century on, people have been spending these 40 days learning the faith through the Apostles' Creed, as a way of getting ready to commit themselves to Jesus. We're kinda doing that right now as we head toward Easter, which is, which is really cool. What's
1: uh what's what's this about on, on the head there? You got something up there. What's, yeah, so I that? have
2: the smudge. I'm trying to get as much self righteousness as possible. So please congratulate Well your me. righteousness
1: can <clears throat> be imputed to explaining it to us also. Exactly.
2: So it is the sign of the cross, it's made out of the dust of, of ashes and that is a reminder, as Dr. Payne said, to remember you are dust and to dust you shall return. The sense of your mortality, it's a, sign, a reminder of your sin. So, oh, your sin is inside and hidden? Well, now it's up on your forehead. It's kind of embarrassing. But it's not just a sad sign of your own sin. It's a hopeful sign, it says in the church, because this is the dust of new creation. Mm -hmm. We are being created anew out of the dust, out of the ashes of Christ's work on the cross, so that we can be born again in that second Adam, as Dr. Gupta talked about in 2 Corinthians 5. So, it's a sign of Of shame and lament and confession but also hope that we're being made new through this work of the cross
1: pastor Lydia how can those of us who belong to the more low church kind of traditions where maybe Lent isn't celebrated in a particular way or maybe they don't do the ashes ritual of course you can come back to the chapel tonight at 7 p.m. and do it Um, and I think they're gonna do that ritual if you want to take part in it but like can low church how can low church people celebrate Lent or observe Lent and prepare for Easter
3: So some of you um, may have heard more language around Lent in particular than even Ash Wednesday. And uh, Lent is often um, celebrated um, by actually sacrificing. So when I was going, I made that kind of point earlier about what does it look like to sacrifice, um, to lay down our lives, right, for someone else and in an observance of God. And so in Lent, you get the opportunity for 40 days to what's called fast something, to give up something. And the purpose of that is not to make your life a living hell, but it's actually for you to give up something so that in that moment when you go to take that cup of coffee, or you go to check in on your Instagram, or you go to, um, I don't know do something that you would normally do in your everyday life you pause and you you recognize oh yeah I'm not going to do that because I'm going to turn my attention to God. Normally I would, you know, and it's not necessarily bad things that you're participating in, right? But it's something that has become maybe a habit in your life that you're recognizing, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to pause in that moment and turn my attention toward God. And it creates a new habit in your brain. It creates more space for the Holy Spirit to speak. And so in the low church settings, um, we don't talk a lot about the church calendar. We don't talk a lot about Lent or Ash Wednesday, but this is something that uh, we we do try to weave in and encourage, at least in my setting, um, for people to be aware of because what it does is it breeds um, an ability to invite the Holy Spirit to work anew in this season now in our lives and recognize maybe some of the sin and the habits that we've put into our lives where we're no longer dependent on God, but we're dependent on the world for hmm. certain things. So that's how, how I would see Lent kind of weaving into our lives.
4: Yeah, and just to add on to that, um, what's interesting too is how Lent can affect the rest of your year, right? So mm. maybe through Lent, you form new habits uh, that actually leaven the rest of your life. And so uh, part of Lent is that self-examination, ex- seeing what is hindering your relationship with God. And maybe you decide, hey, actually, this is not healthy for me to engage in. And Lent was a way of learning that about yourself. So that, that's actually incredible if that can be a part I did
1: of it. I did a Lent fast of a particular thing a couple of years ago. And it did exactly that for me. Like, it led me to re-examine an entire area of my life that was just kind of, like, out of control, you know? And just putting that under, like, like letting that come into the light of God's, like, vision rather than trying to hide it was really spiritually helpful.
2: I think there's some something to be said for doing something physically that, mem- like, ritualizes what's going on in your heart spiritually. So I thought about that when we just brought our little notes of things to repent about after Dr. Doke's lecture. That's how it was for me this morning, even... We were doing the confession of sin, I was thinking about all the junk I've done, and even stuff I haven't done that I should have done, but it's different to think about all that in your head, but then to go forward and have someone smudge some grit up on your forehead as like a, this is real, both the reality of the sin, but also the joy of forgiveness. Sometimes you gotta like do it in your body to get the Mm -hmm. message across in a certain
1: way. It can become abstract if we don't do that. Students, what do you think? Anything out there? The mic is being passed.
5: Good morning, my name's James. I Also, actually before my question, wanted to point out, in a lot of settings, the ashes are made from palms, from Palm Sunday. So it's kind of a great tie-in there from Palm Sunday. Um, So the question I have is, in regards to some of the perceived hypocrisy that we've talked about for the church, is there a point where the church, um, so capital C Church, I think this falls in a lot of different settings, where they seem to be too involved in their kind of earthly survival, um, gaining wealth, doing all these things. It seems to be hypocritical to then telling people that they should be uh, giving their money or giving to the poor, doing these things, and that their own sense of kind of self-preservation is really what's holding them back instead of you know, potentially being sacrificial of knowing, like, mm. this is our role. We should be giving money, not just trying to amass wealth for ourselves.
1: Has money corrupted the church? Should ministers be paid? Is this the problem? What do you think? Pastor Lydia, I'm looking at you.
3: <laughs> Gosh, I was purposely avoiding <laughs> eye contact. Um, yes, money has corrupted the church. Money has corrupted all of humanity, and I think it's corrupted just about every organization. Um, do I think ministers should be paid? Well, yeah, I'm paid. <laughs> um, but do, do I think that every, I think every person who follows Jesus is a minister of the gospel, and so when we def- when we start to amass some sort of wealth, you were talking about what's the difference, uh, Dr. Claire? About you made a comment institutionalizing or maybe completely disappearing, um, and I think that's that's what we com- kind of come back to is where's the line for an organization to either fold or to move forward based on um, one of those questions being just their own selfishness and and are we actually reaching a goal? Are we actually um, some of these, these hopes and dreams that we started out this church for, are we actually doing those things? Are we meeting those targets? And I was just a part of a, a conversation the other day of one of our four-square churches in our district who has not been meeting their goals, right, meeting the goals. And they're very, re- they're very realistic ones, like how many, are people getting saved? Are people coming to know Jesus? Are people getting baptized? Do we have any outward expression of growth in this community? And if we don't, we need to reevaluate. And we may even have to make the very difficult decision to say, we're not going to continue because what we're now doing is we're just paying to keep the lights on, and is that really is that really what Jesus would want? Because Jesus can show up in the most humble of settings, right? So it's very complicated. I, I think it's very much a case by case basis, and yes, um, I think that money has has made it all the more complicated, <laughs> but I, I don't see necessary. I don't think the solution is to therefore not have a formal organization um, where those things can happen. So I think the good and the pros outweigh the bad.
2: I think that James is a great question. I think the answer is absolutely yes. The church has been corrupted But I think by God's grace there's been a self-correcting mechanism that's been built into the church as you've seen over time. So as you came out of the first 200 years of the church when it was just completely marginalized and persecuted like it is in some places around the world today, where it's very pure, very tight, as soon as the church is broadly socially accepted and part of the fabric of a society, it has all the temptations and errors that any other human beings in that society, Christians are not somehow immune to the human condition entirely, but I think by God's grace, he continues to raise up people from within the church to say, hey, we got off track from the message of Jesus, and we need to get back to it, and that has not just happened since the Protestant Reformation, as we'll hear next week, that all throughout the Middle Middle Ages in the Roman Catholic Church, there's been people like Saint Francis of Assisi who stood up and just said, dude, we lost the plot, need to get back to Jesus or the desert fathers and mothers as much as we had the reformers, and we've had more reformers since in the past few hundred years. So I think the church is always prone to institutionalization and decay, but always the spirit of the gospel by the Holy Spirit comes and checks us and says, we've got to get back to the message and way of Jesus. And if you lose that, that tension, um, then the church truly loses its mission.
4: Can I jump in there? Yeah. Okay. I'm looking at you, and I know BRD has an agenda, so I don't. <laughs> uh, wanna, no. I don't want to get in the way. No <laughs> but, agenda. Um, what are you talking
1: about? <laughs> <laughs> just do your thing. Um, My agenda is you talking. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, yeah. James. Uh,
4: thank you. Um, I just wanted to say, I, it sounds like you were referencing um, the prosperity gospel. What's referred to as a prosperity gospel. This is um, common in certain places where a pastor would say, God blesses those with wealth who do X, Y, or Z. And so wealth is a sign that you are blessed by God. And so conversely, if you're poor, that is a sign that you are not doing well in the eyes of God, right? And so then there's this kind of push, okay, give to the church and God will make you rich, right? Or um, you know, give to the church and God will bless you with many, many more blessings. And so this kind of creates this uh, situation which is really corrupt, right? So church leaders get rich, And then people who are already struggling with their resources get poorer, but are expecting God to bless them miraculously because they're giving so much, Mm -hmm. right? And so then you have these situations where you have these church leaders who are, you know, traveling all over the world in like private jets and like have like six homes and are obvious, very obviously corrupt. So I just wanted to acknowledge that and say that, um, you know, the New Testament and the Old Testament are all about justice, all about... Um, loving the poor, giving to uh, those who are underprivileged, to the orphan, to the widow. Uh, and Paul, I'm struck by this in many of his letters, 1 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, when he talks about works of the flesh, he talks a lot about greed, right, and idolatry. And so, and he even rails against some church leaders and church members who lord it over each other whether if they're wealthy, mm-hmm. right? So there's a strong push in the New Testament to check ourselves and not to not pursue the love of money and so I think that's a very obvious case in which uh, they've lost the plot and should
2: repent of that. That's a good question.
6: Hi, my name is Owen. I just want to get back to kind of what you guys were talking about earlier about the hypocrisy of certain churches and certain Christians. The mind was more musical way because you guys were talking about like Christian rock bands with T-shirts because Christian rock bands obviously they have a very obvious purpose. They are they're meant to bring the uh, uh, the teachings of Christ to like uh, the rock and roll tradition. But at the same time, it's like it's the same thing with the kind of Christian artists. They're also a band. They are a earthly performing kind of unit, and they also you know they want to build their earnings. They want to build their fan base, and they want to more popular and popular, just like any other kind of band. I just want to think, with those kinds of bands, like Kansas or Mercy Me or Casting Crowns, those kind of people, I just kind of think, should we also look at those at, at kinds of Christian rock bands as hypocritical, or should we view them with a critical eye on what they write about and what their image are le- is like are, as bands?
1: How should we view Christian musicians? You could even broaden that out, Owen's good question, to all kinds of things. Like anybody working in any industry making money off of the Christian message in any way. Like how earthly and gritty do you have to get? How practical do you have to be? I bet there's some moments in the life of a pastor where what, you're, you're not like walking on clouds exactly. It's just like, you know, sweeping the floors and like doing basic things that need to be done. So I guess the question becomes like how far does that go? I think, uh,
2: Owen's oh it's a great question. It actually opens up the question more broadly to Christian culture that flowers around the church. And by the way, you're in a Christian college uh, institution very much like a rock band that is that – is about advancing the mission of the kingdom and the gospel, but it's also about education and setting you up for exceptional life outcomes and careers and success and achievement. So even an institution like the university walks this fine line of being a place where we hope you're hearing about Jesus and your lives are being transformed. We also have budgets and money and people to pay and things to do. And so you find yourself in this earthly and heavenly uh, kind of mashup which is very uncomfortable but it's also the human condition more broadly so I think the church is the epicenter of it but there's other elements of Christian culture around it that we're just trying to walk this fine line and it gets back to that tension of pure versus mixed that I talked about on Monday are we supposed to be becoming the perfect embodiment of Jesus Christ on earth as his body or are we this mixed broken bandaged body that is on its way toward glory by God's grace. That is, is the church a place of perfection and uh, spiritual athleticism, or is it a hospital uh, for people who can actually recognize how broken they are? And I think, again, the resounding word from the early church is the metaphor of the hospital wins because we're, we're not going to achieve that perfection.
4: Amen. Uh, I also wanted to add, so when I was uh, in in the UK uh, doing my grad studies, I met a lot of Scottish people Christians, so Scottish Presbyterians, and they have a very interesting debate. Uh, I'm not sure if it's still going on, but they, they were having it uh, a couple of years ago about whether to even use instruments in worship, mm. right? So there are a lot of Scottish Presbyterian churches that only allow acapella, and what they call exclusive psalmody. So the only songs you can sing are psalms. And so there's this whole argument around uh, Ephesians 5, you know, bless one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And so some Christians would take a very limited scope of, well, there's no like cymbals or, you know, uh, guitars or, you know, things that are used. It's just the beauty of of the voice um, that that can be used. So just to say there's a a huge Mm -hmm. debate as to what instruments are um, worthy of of reverencing God. And, you know, there's, I think, even in the early church, questions of what hymns are, are appropriate uh, so I do think, Owen, you're, you're pointing us to a really uh, rich idea, which is even with people who make it their vocation and job to praise God, you know, they have to be examining themselves about are they profiting from that? Uh, does this become too much about themselves, about their image? Even as we engage with that music, does it also, be do we also kind of, are we brought into like the market and capitalism or are we just taken in by the culture? Um, or is there a way to engage in this where the heart of it is still at play, which is, you know, we're, we're truly just trying to worship God right. um, with all our souls, minds, and strengths.
1: So. It reminds me of this very hard saying by Soren Kierkegaard. Kierkegaard was a, a, a philosopher a couple hundred years ago who was very, very famous for his attacks on the institutionalized church. And he's kind of a hero of a certain kind of low church, you might say, in a way. But he said something like, what is a theology professor but someone who's profiting off the death of Jesus? You know, like, that's a hard, that's a hard saying, you know, so for people to consider not just for rock bands, but for anybody that's dealing with money and in any way that their message or position is associated with the gospel, right? This issue, though, okay, it raises this question. If we're in a culture, which we are, in which churches are everywhere, there's churches on every street corner, and churches have become so mainstream, and expressions have become so, I don't know, so much like everything else that you see, how does the church just be different, If essentially we're going to do the rock band thing, so we're not different, you know, musically, but we're trying to also, like Pastor Lydia said, we're also trying to reach people. We don't really talk different. It's like, what are we supposed to do? Like, all wear a certain color or a uniform or a weird hat? Like, or are we just supposed to, like, be charitable? But, like, a lot of people in the world are really charitable and good people, even better than we are in the church. Like, what are we actually supposed to do to be the church and to actually look and act and be different? Or is it just like, well, God will sort it out and we just kind of do our thing the best we can for now?
3: So I would say both of what you just said. So yes, we're going to do our best and God's going to sort it out, right? Even, I mean, as I think about these um, institutions that we're talking about and the potential for corruption and the, the potential for things to go off the rails, like, thank God, right, that God comes in and his grace covers everything and he's able to make beauty out of ashes, right? And through our brokenness, God's glory can be on display. That doesn't mean we don't try as hard as we possibly can to continue to advance his kingdom and make the right decisions in the moment. But I do think that it's always going to come back to, there is no one style of church that's going to reign supreme or that's going to save all of the people or save even the most people. Mm -hmm. I think it's really about, it goes back to radical love. And it sounds so cliche even saying that because I think our culture actually is, is, is believes that they are radically loving people as well, um, but they're, they're missing out on the real, the real definition of love. And so I think that when we define love based on not what our feelings are, but based on what's choosing the highest good for the other person, people begin to see something different in us, and that is the church At work in the world and and they will begin to that kind of love them till you ask why kind of idea I think it's very true and until we as the church actually live out what we're preaching what we're talking about what we're discussing we're gonna continue to want to keep going back and looking at well we could do this better we could be we could dress this way or we could talk this way or we could have this type of music and in reality that's those are helpful maybe tools but they're not the core and so I think we're until we get to the core, we're not gonna um, we're not gonna be really making a difference in the world.
2: Yeah, I think I think that's exactly right. Pastor Lydia nailed it. The mark of a Christian, it says this in the Gospel of John very clearly, is to be filled with love. And I think that love is going to be imperfect. It's going to be halting, faltering. But the moment you turn from your sin and believe in Jesus, when I turn from my sin and believe in Jesus. And allow the very life of Jesus to start to flow through me by the Holy Spirit, you begin a new way of being in the world. You can begin to approach God the Father as Jesus did. You can begin to go out to love others, even an enemy as much as a friend. That is like the mark of becoming Uh, A member of the church and being filled with the Mm. spirit. It's that radical love. And again, the church does it so imperfectly, but that doesn't mean we don't challenge ourselves Mm -hmm. to begin to walk in that way of Jesus. And ultimately, it wouldn't be us. It would be the spirit flowing through us and overwhelming our humanity, which is prone to not want to go out to the enemy, prone to not to take care of those in need who are around us, who are going to drag us down or waste our time. Like, it, it is an overshadowing and a transcending of ourselves when mm-hmm. you allow the spirit to move in that way with God's love.
1: We're going to have to go lightning round on this one, but let's do it. Go for it. All right. Hey, guys. My name's Noah.
7: Hey. Um, so, it'll be a quick question. Basically, like, uh, I think Lydia touched up on, like, a, a bunch of this, but basically, like, even though we're on the religious extreme or we're on, like, the rock band charismatic extreme, um, don't you think that along with that, like, the sacrifice of Jesus, like, that his grace covers that and people get saved on either half, you know? Um, And I've been talking to a lot of people recently and, like, the people that do leave the church uh, because of those things, um, even though there's valid reasons for that, isn't that kind of worse than sticking around and, like, helping to try to bring the church back to Jesus, Um, because then if you're on the outside of the church, it's like that's still going to happen, but you're not helping the problem, you know. So um, what should we do? Like if if our churches are going either way, um, how do we, as just like a member of the church, like bring it back to that focus?
1: 60 seconds, how do we do it?
4: Keep going, keep going. I like that. I mean, you basically said it. So yeah. um, the book of Hebrews talks a lot about persevering in your faith, and I think that's a good word.
3: I think it's important to identify that there's always a third, I think there's a third way, right? So there's like the way of, th- th- like if you look at ear two paths, right? Divergent or what? I don't know if you know that poem, but y- you can choose the other, the middle ground, the middle path. And I think that our, our hope should always be to figure out how to reach the most people, right? And not just reach them, but bring them to a depth of knowing and relationship with Jesus, like a deep discipleship, because it's not just about evangelism, it's also about discipleship. Mm. And so um, I think that if you're a member of a church that maybe is on one extreme or the other, um, I think that your job is actually to continue to look for the people on the margins and to look for the people that aren't being reached by either extreme. (laughs) That would be my. Dr. Claire, mm-hmm.
1: one final quick Noah, word.
2: Uh, you nailed it. The way to fix and help the church is from within. And never before in our own country's history or time has there been a greater need for people to rise up and lead, accept the call. When I was in grad school, I asked my mentor if I should go on to get a PhD or if I should go to be a pastor. And he just looked me square in the eye and said, ah, I think PhD, you're not smart enough to be a pastor. And uh, he was joking, but Will and at Duke. It, I never forgot it because I think the church, unfortunately, it needs our best and brightest. And for whatever reason, culturally, we don't value that vocation and whatever that might mean for you in the church. But I hope and pray that you all are thinking about what that might mean to serve and lead the church in this age to come.
1: Before we thank our panelists, would you say the creed with me up to where we are? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, the Holy Catholic Church. Please join me in thanking our panelists for Thank today. you,
6: panelists. Thank you. All right.